Hello there, my friend. I just wanted to ask you a quick personal favor before we get into this episode. If you haven't already, it would mean a lot if you could take 30 seconds right now and leave the show a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts to listen, it would be really helpful if you could leave a rating and review there anyway. Those ratings help attract new listeners, market the show within the app, and maybe most importantly, help me bring on the best guests possible. I know you think you'll do it later, but please just head over there right now and let me know what you think. In the first five years, I started to see, okay, I'm not getting the same high I used to get and something feels like it's missing. And that was the first wake-up call of, what am I really chasing here? You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with intuitive business coach, Shauna Van Bogart. I work with service providers that are a little bit seasoned. So typically three plus years into their business and they have hit that ceiling and they're feeling there's a transition that's needing to happen and up level that's needing to happen. And that's my sweet spot right there. But while Shauna's operating in her sweet spot now, that hasn't always been the case. Many years went by when I was chasing a vision that I no longer wanted for myself. I had worked my way out of it, but I didn't check in to realize that. In this episode, Shauna and I are talking about clarity and how it relates to all aspects of your business, from getting clear on what you stand for with the work that you do. If you were on a soapbox, what's your soapbox? And I think that's a really good exercise to put yourself through. If you just had permission to rant about your industry, about your competitors, about the messaging out there, like what is the soapbox that you're passionate about? To clarity around your messaging and content. Create a symptom list, everything that person is facing. What are their thoughts running through their head at night when they put their head on their pillow? What are their thoughts in relation to their relationships? If they're looking at food or at the grocery store, what sort of tension or lack of tension do they have? Paint a very detailed picture of their life. As well as how to tell if things are out of alignment in your business and how to identify where you might need to do some personal work. Your reality is a mirror. So if things aren't working, if you're not getting the conversions or if you're having tension in your relationship or if you're having struggles in any area, your reality tells you where you're out of alignment. I was first introduced to Shauna a little over a year ago. And since then, we've actually gone to hire each other as she was looking for support producing her podcast, Just Being. And I was looking for a coach to lead a workshop for my team. In our time together, I've learned a lot from Shauna about the importance of letting go of the tactical, strategic, must-plan-for-and-control-everything way of thinking and creating space for a more intuitive approach to business. While Shauna has fully embraced this intuitive method of operating now, it was something she resisted for a long time. And while her default, overachiever, tactical, linear approach to business often helped her achieve success quickly in her various businesses, she often found herself come up against a ceiling of resistance that was hard, if not impossible, to push past. I wanted to start our conversation by asking her about one of these ceilings, where things that had been easy for her came grinding to a screeching halt. In this case, it all revolved around a launch. A big, shiny, public launch with a lot of hype, that didn't go quite as well as planned. The product that I was seeking to deliver was essentially the business curriculum for aspiring image consultants, because that was the industry I was in. And when I got certified, it was heavy into the actual consultation techniques, but very little business acumen. And I spent thousands of dollars, as so many of your listeners probably do, on certifications. And out of the 15 people that were in this class with me, I was the only one who actually turned it into a business. And I sort of chalked that up to, great, you have all these techniques, but if you don't actually know how to market yourself and put yourself out there and build the business, then what does it matter? So when I went to launch this digital offering, after having some success in um, a digital product on a smaller scale. And then I attempted to kind of blow that up a little bit bigger. I was obsessed with this messaging that you don't need the certification as much as you think, like you need the business, you need the business skills. And likely you're already attracted to this industry because you have an innate skill set. Because really in my certification, I didn't learn anything new per se, as it came to working with the clients, it was a lot of validation, but, um, if someone's interested in that field, they've probably been doing this already informally for quite a long time. 
And so what felt to me was really missing was the entrepreneurship side. So I created this huge, shiny membership platform. Um, and this was before like third-party softwares really existed. So you probably know it was on WordPress with a million plugins. And it was this huge build out. And I did this online live stream launch party. And there was all this engagement for it. I had all kinds of email signups. But when it came to actually converting people for, I think it was like $500 annually, it was pulling teeth. And I didn't understand how I had all this buzz, but no one was buying. And I was in conversation with a colleague of mine and he asked a really simple question. He was like, so what did they, what did they get with this membership? And I was like, well, they get all these business courses and all this business training and all this. He's like, but when they get done with that, then what? And it seems like a really simple, silly question, but it was this big lightning moment where I realized that I was essentially competing against their own insecurities. Meaning when I stepped back and I went all the way back to, to the beginning of my journey in image consulting, I was obsessed with getting a certification. And if you would have told me everything I was preaching and in my messaging that like, no, the business is important, the entrepreneurship is important, I wouldn't have even listened to you because I was obsessed with that piece of paper. And I thought, because I was insecure, that to make me a credible person, I had to have that piece of paper. So as great as everyone was like, this looks awesome, they were like, but I'm not going to spend $500 on that because I'm saving that money for my certification cost. I had to realize that, okay, I'm wanting something more than my audience wants it. And I had to find a way to meet them where they were at. And that was the big pivot moment. I think that is something that almost every single person in business goes through at some point. I also want to say failed launches and things like that. That probably, if that's happened to anybody who's listening, like that is not you alone who has yeah. been through that. Everybody has been through that probably multiple times who you look up to. Um, and I think that thinking that you know what your audience needs, and maybe you're right about that sometimes. I think that's where it's difficult is when you know that your audience actually does need this skill. They need to know how to build a business, but they don't know that they need that. So I guess coming away from that experience, how have you been able to apply that and think about like, okay, what do they need? How do, you, how do I know what they want? And how can I package what I know they need in a more palatable kind of offering for them? I think a really great visual is to imagine a mountain and as the authority, you're on top of the mountain and your audience is at the base of the mountain. And it's your job to walk back down the mountain off your authority, essentially meet them where they're at and hold their hand on the way up. So it's it's a kind of a typical customer journey roadmap and really taking a moment because the transition for me happened when I had that light bulb moment of putting myself back in their place. So it's actually really deep empathy and going back to your original journey. And what an exercise I kind of recommend for a lot of business owners is to sit down and write your story. Even if you've got your bio and all of that, when was the last time you really sat down and you mapped out how you got to your present moment? Because likely there's aspects of your story that you've kind of forgotten about. And those are really beautiful messaging pieces. So for me, it was realizing, okay, I'm standing on top of the mountain and, and yeah, I want to say I did know better because that certification really didn't mean that piece of paper means nothing. It's a no barrier to entry industry as so many wellness professionals are in as well, but you might know better, but it's not disingenuous to position yourself and change up your messaging to meet people where they're at. And it's not going to take away from your authority. It's actually going to make you more of an authority if you can connect with people on exactly where they're at because they're going to feel so understood. And to me, if you can make someone feel that understood, that is way more powerful for your authority than preaching to them from up here where it feels like a big disconnect. I love that Shauna brought up the importance of having empathy for your audience members. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, You've heard me talk about the key role that empathy plays when it comes to our marketing. I talk about this in more length in episode seven about the foundation of effective marketing. Most of us in the wellness space are naturally empathetic people who have a keen sense of the pain, discomfort, and frustration of others and want to do everything in our power to ease that. But for whatever reason, we don't often apply that same sense of empathy when it comes to our marketing messaging and how we engage with our potential clients before we start working with them. Like Shauna mentioned, 
one of the best ways to get a sense for how to position your offers and meet your clients where they're at is by looking back at your own story and thinking really hard about your thought processes when you've been in situations similar to the ones your potential clients are facing. As you're working on the messaging and positioning of your own offer, think back and ask yourself the following questions. What did you think the problem was? What did you think the solution was? What type of messaging would have appealed to you at that point? Was the actual final solution to your problem the same as what you thought it was? When you found the actual solution, how was it positioned? Was there prerequisite knowledge or experience that you needed to have before the solution actually appealed to you? By examining your own responses, you'll gain a deeper understanding of how your customers will likely respond and engage with your marketing and allow you to make tweaks to meet them where they're at. Note that this doesn't mean that you're selling them a product or service that you know won't work for them. It just means that you're adapting the messaging around your offer so that it overlaps with what your potential clients are actively seeking out. When you're struggling to sell an offer that you know is solid, messaging is certainly one of the most common problems. But it's not the only potential disconnect. I've talked to so many business owners who have had solid offers and great messaging around the offer, but they were targeting it to the wrong audience. Sometimes that mistargeting was actually only a few degrees off, but those few degrees can make all the difference between pulling teeth to make just a few sales and having a lineup out the door of people who are what Shauna refers to as your soulmate clients. Of course, we'd all love to have more soulmate clients in our businesses. So I asked Shauna where to start when it comes to finding and attracting them. I think the best way to give an answer to that is to give an example. Um, recently in a client session, I was working with a branding specialist and she had these offerings that spanned brand new brands to people that were seeking a rebrand. And those are two completely different audiences. And really what she was doing this whole time is just stacking services versus swapping them out as she evolved. So, you know, in the beginning, she was targeting people who needed new brands, but as she's evolved in her business, she really actually was way more passionate about working with people who have case studies, have proven their concept and need a a polished rebrand. And so instead of shedding the first iteration, she just kind of went wider and wider with her service offering. And so the first thing we did was step back and I asked her, what are you most passionate about? If you were on a soapbox, what's your soapbox? And I think that's a really good exercise to put yourself through. If you just had permission to rant about your industry, about your competitors, about the messaging out there, like what is the soapbox that you're passionate about? And that to me will likely tell you what the match is for your customers currently. For her, she was naturally showing up already kind of in that messaging but she wasn't realizing that that was targeted at a specific audience. So there actually wasn't anything missing. She just had to kind of make a decision and let go of that entry point. So it still comes back to the customer journey. I think you really need to know what happens from the very beginning moment of someone on a wellness journey all the way up to where they would convert with you. And I don't believe you should be suited to work with everyone on that path. I think that you're suited to figure out where's your entry door and where do you exit? But you do need to know what happens before that and you do need to know what happens after that. Understanding your ideal customer or client's journey is essential to creating content, messaging, and paid offers that are appealing to them. When you narrow down and get clear on the exact phase of that journey that you're best suited to help your clients in, you're able to provide a highly specific offering, get better, more consistent results, and often charge more. To give an example of targeting a specific slice in a client journey of a larger demographic, I'll use my own business, Counterweight Creative. As a reminder, we offer podcast production and marketing support to online wellness business owners. But as you're probably aware, the journey of starting and growing an online wellness business is long with very many distinct stages. Those range from starting out your business as a solopreneur or maybe even a side hustle while you're still working at a day job, all the way up to building a massive seven or eight figure business with dozens of employees, a large suite of products, and a whole lot of complexity. Needless to say, that's a huge range of business owners, each with a different set of goals and challenges. As such, as a company, we've needed to make a decision on which stage we're going to tailor both our messaging as well as our offers themselves to. When I first started out as a freelance podcast producer, my target slice of our client's journey was business owners right around the six-figure mark who had a small budget to outsource their podcast editing. As I started to grow my team, however, I realized that I just had to raise my prices. 
This is something that Tasha Booth and I talked about in episode 12. The price increases that were necessary to support my growing team meant that the slice of business owners our services and messaging were aimed at could actually no longer afford them. And so over the past year and a half or so, one of my biggest focuses has been updating our offerings, processes, and messaging to appeal to wellness business owners at a different stage of the journey. Currently, that stage is wellness businesses in the mid-six to mid-seven-figure range with one or more proven offers and a solid audience who are looking to scale up and really become known as the singular authority on their topic. Okay, back to Shauna. That's actually a really good point because, you know, we talk about niche so much, and I think that gets very confusing for people. And that's kind of one of the traditional cornerstone topics of, you know, the beginning of business, find your niche. And I think people forget that niche could also be circumstantial, just like you pointed out. You've exclusively targeted a slice of people in a specific transition. That could be a niche. It's not like working with 30 to 40 year old females. And, you know, so many people look at it demographic based. And so I think it's really important to what is the problem, again, going back to the soapbox that you're obsessed about? And so what is the situation or circumstance happening in a person's life that you're the perfect fit for? Yeah. So once you've kind of identified this group of people and you know what you're passionate about and what you can stand on that soapbox and shout about for days. And so you've kind of understand like, okay, well, these are the people who are receptive to this. It's a big challenge a lot of times, especially for people who don't have an online foundation to actually build up an audience around them. And so I know that you uh, have had a lot of success with this around your, your clarity of messaging and your voice and kind of actually really connecting with these people in more than just a passing social media kind of way, but actually building relationships with them. So what's your advice on how to really connect with people? Best exercise ever, and this will also be your content flow, in my opinion, and it's so simple, is to essentially make a symptoms list. So once you kind of know the circumstance or the problem or the soapbox, what I do, and it's this evolving document, is create a a symptom list, everything that person is facing. What are their thoughts running through their head at night when they put their head on their pillow? What are their thoughts in relation to their relationships. If they're looking at food or at the grocery store, what sort of tension or lack of tension do they have? But paint a very detailed picture of their life. And each of those things are symptoms. For me, it's working with business owners that have been in business for a few years and they're not as excited when they wake up in the morning. And so even that is fairly general. Really push yourself to get even more specific. Okay, so what happens? They wake up in the morning and they're kind of not excited about their to-do list and it's their own baby. Like that right there, I could pluck off my symptom sheet and run with it as a live stream or a piece of content somewhere. So I map out all of these symptoms, which are also given to you based on discovery calls and reading the comments of different threads in your industry. People are telling you what their symptoms are. So I document all that down and then I essentially organize them into groupings. Okay, symptoms related to relationships, symptoms related to money, symptoms related to health and wellness. And then from there, I have content that's highly relevant and highly targeted to the exact person that I'm seeking to work with. And that is what I call the common ground piece that you really need to cultivate with your audience, build common ground. And that goes back to deeply empathizing with where they're at and what they're going through. Yeah. And I love that, that exercise. And really when you have that, you can get really specific with it too, because if you're thinking like, okay, this is the person, these are their symptoms. You can then put yourself in their shoes and be like, okay, Monday morning, they get to the office, they check social media. What are they feeling right now? And you can have a post that is specifically for Monday morning. This is what they're thinking right now. And they're like, how did this person know? They like, this is exactly what I'm feeling. And then like later in the week, it's like the weekend's coming up. It's Friday and it's like, well, okay, how are they feeling? They have had a non-exciting week. They're like, okay, I'm just ready for this to be over. And if you're meeting them there with messaging as well, they're just going to be like, okay, this person gets me. Totally. I'll tell you one of the best conversions that I had as a consumer was with a uh, chiropractic neurologist. I was suffering from really terrible migraines. I would have never thought to hire a chiropractic neurologist, right? Like I was looking in all of the other traditional directions and frankly was at the point where I was like, I just have to deal with this. Well, I was on a prescription for Imitrex and if you have migraines, you know what that is likely. And the problem with Imitrex is you have to have 15 migraines a month to even qualify to get it, but they would only give you nine pills a month. So you had to be really choosy about when you decided to get that relief from the Imitrex prescription. 
And he brought that up to me. He related to me because he knew my journey. He likely knew that I had a prescription for migraines. He knew that I had to be choosy and decisive about when to use it. And I was like, oh my gosh, he understands what I'm going through. He had me in the palm of his hand at that point. So specificity is really, really important. And if you can get into like those kinds of specifics of what a person's going through, people want to feel understood. And that's trust. You, what you build right there is trust. And when there's trust, it's so much easier for people to invest in you. Yeah. So we've kind of talked about getting to know your customers here. And I think a lot of people, the the pushback is, well, I don't have an audience. How do I get to know people? And you kind of touched on a little bit before there. So if you're starting from zero, you have no email list, no Facebook group, you know who you want to serve, but you don't know anybody to actually, you know, take out for coffee. Like what would you recommend for people to start building out this customer journey and the symptoms list? Part of me wants to argue that those people are already around you, honestly. They're more around you than you think they are. That's the first thing I would argue. And the most important thing at at Ground Zero is to just start talking about your soapbox. Like, talk about those symptoms. Like, get, get out there and show up and get the content out. Don't worry about the audience up front. Just get in the habit of being in those things. Likely, there are for sure people around you that can relate to it. I know that everyone has at least 10 contacts that they can reach out to. And I've done this several times at every iteration or pivot of my business that they can write an email to that maybe aren't their direct ideal clients, but just people that you have connected with along your journey. And the exercise and the action step here is blind those 10 people on an email and say, hey, here's who I am. This is what I'm up to. I wanted to make it abundantly clear who I am in this world and how I'm serving. And if you just happen to know someone or be in conversation with someone, I would love for you to refer me. And I mean, I've done that exercise a few times and that's kickstarted thousands of dollars worth of coaching services for me or whatever services for me. So um, start with people that you know, that you know, respect you and you respect them and you can kind of self brag a little bit. And then I think beyond that, what I want to say about this is we got to get out of this mentality that we need this big audience. Because really, when I break down with clients what they really need the other day with a client, I was like, so what you're telling me is you really only need 12 people a year at X price point. And when you think about it that way, you get out of all this noise of trying to game Instagram and game your fan page to get all of these fans and followers. And you can do a lot with a really small audience. I mean, I went from that pivot that we opened with that story, that low moment. I had a list of like less than 50 people and that converted to five figures. This is something that I have become increasingly interested in and fascinated by people who've been able to do this, almost rejecting the kind of social media presence. And I'm someone who social media is a chore, very much so. And it's interesting that I have not really relied on it in four years of business. And, you know, I think it's it's coming to a point where I want to be more active there, but I don't really have any illusions that that's going to be the big driver of business. And I've talked to a lot of people who have been able to build audiences, whether it's podcasts or YouTube channels or blogs or anything like that, but really kickstart. You can probably get your first hundred people through cold outreach to people you know or people who you don't know. Everybody's information is out there. You can say, okay, I can see this about this person. I bet they'd like what I'm doing. And I can just reach out and say, hey, I saw you were into this. We're in the same Facebook group or I saw you commenting on this YouTube channel. I'm actually doing something that I think you might like. And you can do enough of that very targeted pitching to people and you can really kickstart your audience or your entire business from doing that. Well, and I think that goes back to if you are super specific about the problem you're solving. And and here's the thing that doesn't mean that you make your whole business that I just think it's important, especially in the wellness and health space, find the open door thing. So let's say it's migraines for that chiropractic neurologist. That's a great, broad enough, yet niche enough subject that he could write an email to 10 people. He has no idea if they suffer from migraines or not, but he has 10 colleagues and friends or family members. And he could write an email to those 10 people and say, I'm helping people with migraines that are at a point of resignation. They think there's really nothing they can do except maybe just be on prescription or just deal with it. And I actually have an alternative path that does wonders. So if you know anyone, I mean, and when it's that specific, then what you do is you link in people's minds Oh, Matt, migraines. 
You know, like when I think of, if anyone mentions migraines, I'm immediately thinking of that person. So this more specific you can be when you kind of think about cold outreach like that, I think it's really important to identify what would be a great initial open door problem I can solve for people. Once you get them in the door, then you can talk about all the other services you have to offer. Yeah. And so kind of continuing on the growing your audience, not slowly necessarily, but through word of mouth often and not doing the whole social media mass broadcasting. Uh, I saw a post on your Instagram account a little while back about creating uh, outstanding or remarkable work versus hustling on social media and how that is probably a faster way to grow your business. Can you talk a little bit about like your mindset uh, around that? Yeah, uh, the exact quote is the difference between good and outstanding work is outstanding work sells itself. And I know this because I was someone who did great work even, but it wasn't outstanding. And the difference between good, great work and outstanding work is not necessarily doing more. It's a service level of depth and it's attunement in my opinion. And when I realized that I really wasn't bringing all of me to the table, I wasn't getting the results that I knew I could get for people. Again, they were good and great, but they weren't talking about it. They weren't sharing it with friends and family. They weren't spreading it on social media. And I knew immediately when I shifted and shifting into outstanding work was like, how can I, instead of getting into the tactics of how do I get my Instagram following up and how do I launch another product? How do I work with what I have to make it even better? How do I make it more impactful? And so I focused that way, vertical versus going wider. And when I got into that space, it was amazing the feedback that I started getting and how organically people just wanted to talk about it and share it with their friends and family. And so I see so many people putting 80% of their efforts to marketing and top of the funnel and lead generation and all of that. And you're not infinite in terms of energy and willpower and your time in your day. So if you're only left with 20% to deliver your service, then it's probably not going to be outstanding or excellent. So I would argue to flip that and realize you actually don't need as much as you think you need. Give every service your all. Take care of people. Go above and beyond. Over-deliver. Check in and audit your processes often. Make sure you're following up with people, which is part of that outstanding service experience. And you will see that building a highly referable company is a much easier way to run it than you always having to be the one selling and marketing. Get your customers marketing and selling for you. Shauna and I have a lot of overlap in how we approach our businesses, which is probably why we've each hired each other over the past couple of years. Our team has produced her fantastic podcast, Just Being, and I brought her in to run a financial abundance mindset workshop for our team. And wouldn't you know it, we were introduced through a referral from one of my team members, Fran, who had worked with Shauna in the past and had had a truly transformative experience. Over the past couple of years, client experience is something that I've become obsessive about. Now, that's not to say that it's as good as it could be, but it's something that I'm constantly looking to find ways to improve and something that to me is central to our brand. But it took me a long time to take real steps to improve it. And to be honest, a big part of that delay was not knowing where to start and feeling overwhelmed with everything I thought I had to do to create an exceptional client experience. If you're feeling the same way, here are a couple of things I've learned that might help. The first is that, especially if you're a service provider, the bar is set much lower than you might think. I've had a lot of sales calls lately with potential clients looking to transition away from other podcast producers who are getting the job done, but the work was just fine, meeting the minimum acceptable requirements and nothing more. While we might often think that everyone around us has their shit together except us, that's simply not the case. This means that it doesn't actually take that much extra time, effort, or attention to detail to stand out as a better option from our competitors. The second thing I want to mention is that, like Shauna said, the difference between good and remarkable often has very little to do with the actual result that you're helping your client achieve. Instead, it has much more to do with how you work with them to get that result. Your process, systems, and the little touches that have nothing to do with your service itself all play a big role in building a highly referable business. For example, my online business manager, Lindsay, and I have put a lot of work into crafting our client onboarding process over the past year. And after putting in that work, literally every single new client we've had in the past six months has actually sent me an email remarking on how organized and thoughtful the process was. 
There's a distinct gap between businesses that have established processes for delivering their service and achieving results and those that engage with each new client on an ad hoc basis. That gap is obvious to a client, sometimes painfully so. The good news is that building out processes to reduce friction and improve the experience of your clients is work that you can do once and then reap the rewards for every single client you work with going forward. One of the things that I've built into my processes is adding in a series of personal questions into my onboarding forms to help me get to know each of my clients' likes, dislikes, love languages, favorite foods and drinks, and more. I'm then able to use that information that they've usually forgot they provided themselves to deliver what I call wow experiences. When, for example, I send them a bottle of their favorite whiskey for a work anniversary. What you're talking about is moving from a transactional way of operating to an experience. Making your offering, and digital products can be this way, even if it may not seem like that, but making it experiential. It's kind of easy to do that with a brick and mortar because you have decor and you have all the senses engaged. Online, it's slightly different. So your examples are ideal. And being a customer of yours, like filling out your forms was unlike any other form experience I've had with a company, you know, and I, and I knew, cause you know, I've been doing this for so long. I was like, this is so smart. And I felt so taken care of. So there's literally no competition. If someone brings up podcasting, I think of Jeremy, you know, and your company. And so you did outstanding work, but I will say like a lot of it was because I felt taken care of with those really small things, even just filling out the form. So we get transactional because we're busy and we're wearing all the hats. And especially if you're new, it feels like there's a lot of to-dos and a lot of places we need to be. And again, most of those places tend to be lead generation and marketing, and we're forgetting about what comes the easiest to us, but that doesn't mean we should neglect it. So really checking in from time to time and maybe even asking your customers and clients, like interviewing them in exchange for maybe a free offering or something about the experience and checking in on yourself to see how you can really move from transactional to experiential. Yeah. Uh, And a great, a really fantastic book that I've read on that is called The Power of Moments. And I think it's uh, Chip and Dan Heath who've wrote uh, a number of business books, but it's full of incredible examples of companies doing it wrong and companies doing it right. And how easy it often is to have this really, what what feels like an impossibly high touch almost, that is really a little tweak somewhere that you've made uh, to your process along the way. So one of the things that I love about your story is how open you are with the ups and downs. And anybody who's listened to your podcast will hear many of the ups and downs over the past 10, 15 years of your life as an entrepreneur. And so one of the things that you talk about a lot, and you actually mentioned it earlier in this interview, is how our business growth is often inextricably linked to our personal growth and and evolution. So how do you often see this playing out with your clients and people in business where either their personal growth is holding back their business or it is actually accelerating their business when things are really in flow? I think this is more important and relevant for service providers than product entrepreneurs, hands down, especially in the health and the wellness space. And so this lesson of, and I think it was in the very last episode or the second to last episode where I talked about, you can see on my P&L the direct result of like when I would invest all my money in my business versus when I would direct those investments into myself, my own coaching, my own health, my own whatever. And I made more money when I invested myself than when I invest in my business. And I do both, but I keep myself number one priority. And the reason for that is if you're a service provider and a health and wellness expert, you better walk your talk. I mean, people are going to see right through it. And here's the thing with customers in the health and wellness space, likely they've already DIY'd it. They've already tried to figure it out. You're talking to people that are looking for you to make it easy. And so to make it easy, you have to really Keep yourself in check and be in a place where you're embodying that value. I think every single health and wellness provider needs to embody the value of ease. Even if it's something complicated or challenging, you're helping a client move through. You've got to make it easy for them. And if I were to ask you, where in your life do you feel like you have force and struggle or it's not easy? Those would be the areas I would challenge you to invest in for yourself so you can be a walking embodiment of that. I mean, the chiropractor converted me because he was like, Shauna, I hear you. You've been through down that I can make this easy for you. That's what I'm paying for is relief. People in this space are paying for relief. 
And if you don't have that essence about you, it's going to be really hard to convert. Yeah. I think especially I've seen this a lot in the uh, coaching world where a lot of coaches can get into this trap of almost feeling like, well, I, I know all this already, but it's it's a practice a lot of times, especially when it comes to personal development type coaching, where like that is just an ongoing journey that you always need to be working at that. And a lot of times I think like, oh, well, I've got the certifications. I have done all this work. Of course, I teach personal development. And so I don't need to do that because I know it all already. So how do you build habits or a practice around that to continue that you're keeping up with your kind of personal growth and development and making your investments there? Well, your reality tells you, right? So your reality is a mirror. So if things aren't working, if you're not getting the conversions or if you're having tension in your relationship or if you're having um, struggles in any area, your reality tells you where you're out of alignment. And I say out of alignment versus, you know, where you're stuck, where you have a block, but it's really just a cue for you to check in and go, I'm out of alignment here. I'm not operating from a higher level of consciousness or truth. So there's no need to go out and seek it it's right in front of you. Everyone right now can pinpoint an area where there's some sort of gap between what they say they want and what's actually happening. There's something there for you to look at. And it's, it's not, I don't want people to feel like, oh, well, there's always something, you know, there's a time and a place that requires discernment to know, like, do I need to address this now? You know what? Now is not the time. I just don't have the energy, but you probably know when you don't address it, it gets louder, it gets louder. And then sometimes the universe forces your hand and then you have to deal with it. So I don't think you need to go out and find these things. They're right in front of you. Um, and again, use those things as cues to realize, okay, this is a place I'm out of alignment and realize that your customers are paying you, even if your services are migraine relief, they're paying you to be in the very best place that you can be in, which doesn't mean being positive all the time. It just means being truthful, being congruent, being honest with where you're at, honoring your feelings in any given moment. So that's not to say that you have to be perfect and you can't ever struggle. It's just you can't bypass that. You have to be someone who's actively engaged with moving through their challenges and facing them head on. And I think that that's something too that, especially in the online space where for a lot of us, there's a, a good deal amount of sharing that goes into our to our newsletters, to our social media when we are active on there. And people seeing you doing the work like that draws people to you if they can see like, oh, this person, like you said, like is walking the walk and I know that they're improving themselves. Like if I'm going to hire someone in whatever it is, whether it's something for uh, a business service provider or whether it's health related or whatever it is, I am way more attracted to somebody who I can see that they're focused on on personal growth and improvement because I mean, for one, that's a a value of mine, but it's also like, okay, this person takes themselves and what they do really seriously. And they're human. Yeah. I I think the difference, and what I should have said before is there's knowing, and I'm pointing to my head, my brain, there's knowing something, there's educating yourself, and then there's heart. And operating from those places feels different to both yourself and your audience. And I would argue it as, sure, you can understand all of your academics and the industry knowledge all you want, but do you know it? Do you really know it? And you don't have to experience everything yourself, although I find it's really helpful to use your experiences to know something so you can connect with your clients. But there is a big difference, and we see it. We can see it in people. You can tell when someone knows their stuff and they're owning their experiences and they're owning their education versus just speaking from their head. And I think that that takes a few years to sort out. I see often most new business owners, because I think it's just part of the process. You have your training wheels on, you're learning to build a company, you're taking in all this knowledge. But then at some point, you got to realize that it's actually not about consuming more education. Now you need to just put what you know to work and you kind of need to tune that all out so you can drop into your body, drop into your heart and operate from that place. Otherwise, you're going to put out this energy of sort of like Superman, Superwoman complex and people can feel that and it doesn't feel authentic or it feels like that person's too perfect or too put together or too whatever. And I just, I don't think I can make that leap or it's going to be too much pressure for me as a client to connect with that. This feeling of taking off the training wheels and really truly knowing what you bring to the table is something that I finally felt myself embody in this past year, four years into working full-time on my business. And let me tell you, it makes a world of difference when you get there. The most noticeable difference is the level of confidence I have in my skill set, knowledge, and ability to help clients as well as the discernment to be able to identify which clients I'm going to be able to best serve and which ones I might not. 
This has led me to feel confident in charging more for the work we do, expanding the scope of the services we offer, attracting bigger clients, and getting them better results. But there are less tangible side effects too. For one, my business just feels more fun to operate in. And I also feel an increased level of excitement, opportunity, and possibility when I think about the future. As Shauna mentioned, embodying this sense of knowing takes time, often years. And while consuming information and expanding your theoretical knowledge is an essential part of the process, true understanding requires us to actually put that knowledge to use and turn it into experience, maybe even building on that existing knowledge by adding our own insights and ideas. Having discussed some of the signs that you might have work to do on either yourself or your business, I wanted to know how your experience of your business should feel when you're on the right track. Just like you can use your stuck points as cues that you're out of alignment, you also need to see your successes and when things work out as you as well, right? Like that's a cue that like, hey, you're in it, you've shifted because if you hadn't shifted, then you wouldn't be experiencing those wins. And so to brag on you, you know, one of the things I've shared with you that I was nervous about was the music curation for my podcast because I had such a vision of how I wanted it to be. I'm kind of like obsessed with music and the experience of music and have a good ear for that. And I've just in the past never had anyone that could quite match music in the way that I wanted to. And I don't know if you could sense in my questioning in the very beginning of our engagement, if I was nervous about that or not, like to the degree that I was, but um, I released control and like you freaking nailed it. Like you nailed it. That is, it's one of the biggest compliments I get about the podcast is like the music and the, the sound experience of it all. And the very last episode is just so beautiful. And, um, I take that as, you know, call this selfish, but I'm like, that's a win on my end. Like I created that manifestation. I'm proving to myself that I've evolved because I just hired someone that got it. So that shows that I am in a level of trust on some level, and I celebrate that. If you're looking to grow your online audience and get in front of more of your ideal clients and customers, one of the fastest and cheapest ways to do so is by guesting on podcasts. When done right, guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your own content. I've put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcastguesting to get the first video in your inbox today. Shauna's career has followed a long and twisting path, going from image consulting to magazine publishing to her current work as an intuitive business coach. For her, these leaps into entirely new fields often came when results that had been coming so easily to her stopped. Regardless of the type of work we do, we all experience low points where we might question whether we really want to continue down the path we're on. I was curious how Shauna assessed her options at each of these pivot points and ultimately made the decision to leave behind the businesses she had built and start something new. The first big pivot out of image consulting, what I started noticing was the more I achieved different things like getting a 40 under 40 award or influential woman in business award or being interviewed for a Forbes article or something, I felt less satisfied. And so for me, in the first five years, I started to see, okay, I'm not getting the same high I used to get and something feels like it's missing. And that was the first wake up call of what am I really chasing here? And really, what is it that I'm thinking I'm needing that's outside of myself? And it was the first kind of, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but realizing that I was chasing happiness outside of myself versus really trying to make myself happy. And I was being very reactionary to life. So that was kind of the first phase was seeing like my achievements just became less and less satisfying. And then I would say um, the next pivots came because I thought once I'm successful with one thing, so it was digital products. I thought you just do more of that, right? Like linear thinking. I thought, okay, I just put more power to that and I go bigger with that. And when I tried to go bigger with that, I just lots of closed doors, like a lot of force, a lot of things working against me. And I was like, what is going on? And I realized that that wasn't quite right either. And so that was just a wake up call that it's not always linear like that. In fact, most of the time it's not linear like that. And just because you had success with digital products doesn't mean you do more digital products Maybe there's a different takeaway there. And so I had to step back and really assess 
what is it that I really love to do? How do I really love to serve? And actually, it was the complete opposite of high-tech digital products, passive income. And I had gotten really far away from that just because I thought linearly, I need to just go bigger. I think a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs in particular, and a lot of people in the wellness space, especially doctors and people who have really advanced education are very linear thinking of like, they have the next 10 years planned out to a T. And so I'm curious from your experience, it seems like you have come from that background and have been dealt uh, many lessons along the way that maybe that's not the best way to set goals and plan. So I'm curious how you now set goals for, you know, one, three, five, 10 years out, or if you even do. I don't. I don't anymore. Um, I used to, I used to have that plan. And the problem was that I established that vision and, and like most of your audience, you're action takers. And when you have the vision and you can see it, you want to move toward it. And then you get like hyper-focused and I didn't check in. And so many years went by when I was chasing a vision that I no longer wanted for myself. I had worked my way out of it, but I didn't check in to realize that. And so for me, I find that when I have tried to set a five-year vision or even a one-year vision, it takes me away from being present and in my intuition. And when you talk about like, how do you know you're in flow? How do you know you're in it? When I'm channeling my best creative ideas. And so if I set a vision and let's say it's to create a podcast and or to write a book, right? And I start down that path. A lot of times the outcome isn't maybe what you're chasing. It's you get on that path and that opens a door, branches off in a different way. But if you're so focused on the initial outcome that you set, you're going to miss that open doorway, which is a necessary pivot that you're really wanting for yourself. So I find like the more I'm in business, it's so much more present. Now, do I have a six-month plan? Of course I do. Of course I know what's going to happen in the next six months, especially if you are uh, moving through transitionary circumstances, you're moving or having a baby or getting married, you have to plan. But I always leave open possibility that plans can change. And I'm really present in my body and in my intuition. I love that leaving that open space. And I heard something years ago about leaving open space on your calendar is a way to, you know, invite opportunities in almost like when you are so booked out with your current planning and client calls or or whatever it is, and there's no space in your calendar for anything new, probably nothing better is going to be able to find a way into that. And so leaving that space open in many different ways that you can take that, whether that's like having the emotional bandwidth or whether it's time or, or whatever it is, but having flexibility and space for something that you might not have even thought of to show up and kind of fill that void is, is really crucial, I think. That's being in the weeds. When there's no space and you're just head down, you're at the ground level of everything around you. You can't see the bigger picture unless you have those planned pauses, you have those spaces to be able to pull yourself back out or go to a different environment and see things from a higher perspective. You might then look down and realize, oh my gosh, I don't even want half of these things or half of these things I've outgrown and I hate. And I didn't know it because I'm just, I'm in it at the ground level in the weeds. And so I make sure I have a lot of space in my life, part of that's personal and just my unique operation style. But I'm a very firm believer of shedding tangibly and intangibly and keeping that space because you are absolutely right. If you don't have the space, then nothing new can come through. This is really interesting. Uh, we are just having this conversation on one of our weekly calls in the Podcast Marketing Academy program that I'm running and talking about space for creating and and leaving that space open. And one of the women who's a part of it, she was saying how she went on a social media diet. She turned off her phone, didn't turn the TV on and did all this and created all the space. And she is a podcaster and she was really scared. Like, well, what am I going to have to say? Like, if I don't have this input, what what is my output going to be? And she was worried that there would be nothing because she didn't have ideas coming in. And what she found instead was that while she was thinking she didn't have any thoughts worth sharing, she was realizing that she had thoughts that she never acknowledged because there was so much noise. And that that week of turning off everything, she had way more ideas than she had ever had in like the previous months. And so like opening up that space and just noticing your thoughts almost and being like, oh, that's something interesting. I should explore that more. I should make some room for that and, and you know, talk about this on my podcast or write a blog post or just journal about it or whatever it is. There's so much creativity and so much of the good stuff in, I mean, life and business comes out of having 30 minutes a day even to just reflect on that kind of stuff. That is such a powerful example because I believe your best work is always in front of you. 
And we forget that and we clutch really tightly to things we've created and ideas that have come through our mind or even just thoughts. And one thing I'm really diligent about now with, I mean, I stuff flows through me constantly. And so you're probably the same. Like I have notebooks and post-its and things everywhere. Doesn't mean I need to do something with every single one of those notes. Sometimes it's just the recognition that you are always going to be open to a channel of information and if something keeps coming back to you, then yeah, maybe that's the thing you you run with. But to create that space and to let thoughts come in, your best work is always in front of you. And you have to sort of, again, I always think of a visual. It's like everything that you do or decide to commit to, a commitment is like a tether to an anchor that grounds you. And an anchor is not bad. We need to commit. We need to ground into things. But if you have all these tethers going out and you don't take time to trim them or to clip them away, then you just, again, you stack and you just have all these anchors and then you don't move. So you have to come in and I'm talking, go through your emails, go through your files, go through your graphics, curate your Canva folders. The question everyone should ask is what earns its spot? And that's how I operate. What earns its spot in my life, in my computer, in my files? Does this thing earn its spot? And a lot of stuff, we just, cause we just, again, we're too busy. We forget to check in. It, it happens, it happens to me too. But that's a really great question to operate from. I could talk with Shauna for hours on end and always leave our conversations feeling energized, inspired, and challenged. I love that she cuts to the chase and tells it like it is, but from a place of compassion and understanding. One of the things I've learned from Shauna while working with her to produce her show, Just Being, is that we as business owners and people tend to overcomplicate things and go looking for complex solutions to what often turn out to be simple problems. I can't recommend checking out her show highly enough. Again, it's called Just Being and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also connect with her further at shaunavanbogart.com. Of course, you can find those links as well as links to everything else we mentioned in the show notes for this episode at betterwellness.biz slash 013. To continue the conversation, I'd love to know what's something that you're currently feeling a lack of clarity around. Maybe it's your audience, maybe it's your messaging, maybe it's whether you're in the right business at all. Head over to betterwellness.biz voice to leave me a message and I'd love to feature your response in an upcoming episode. In the next episode, I'll be talking with Nicole Ware, a nurse turned online summit executive producer who helps business owners execute profitable online summits that double their list size and set them up for five and six figure follow-up launches. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with the video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their behind-the-scenes work keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. Special shout-out to Francesca for putting me in touch with Shauna in the first place. Finally, to you listening, thank you so much for spending this time with me, and until next time, keep building better. Keep building better.